Welcome to Drinks at the Doll, episode 36, mid-season four review. You're listening to Drinks at the Doll, a podcast way station for Lost Girl fans. I'm your host, Stephanie. And I'm Annie. And I'm Chris. And this week, we do not have a new episode for season four. I think it's their only break that they're taking during the airing of season four. And so we thought we would take this brief pause and kind of talk about what we're seeing as sort of trends in the season so far, some hanging questions, well, some hanging questions, the, uh, the you know, numerous hanging questions that we have in regards to different storylines, and just kind of talk about those for a little bit. Let's be honest, it, it wouldn't be a good mid-season break if there weren't a billion questions to ponder. It's true. So this week, our drink special is a drink called Memory Loss. It is kind of a, a tropical, fruity drink. It has peach vodka, dark rum, gin, apple juice. And the reason we chose it is that one of the big themes this season has been about memory and particularly memory loss. Because, of course, we we start the season with episode 401 in memoriam where everybody has forgotten Bo. And then throughout the rest of the season, you know, we have all sorts of different memory losses going on, which I know... Annie, if not other people have been kind of confused about, you know, you have, you have Bo who seems to have forgotten her time while she was with the Wanderer, whereas everybody else forgot Bo for a time and then their memories came back, but Bo's still missing memories. And then there was the people who had contact with the death train and they kind of forgot. So there's just all sorts of forgetting going on. And like Tamsin, her memories are slow to come back since she has been reborn. So just lots of like memory loss going on this season. Okay, now I'm confused again, but thank you for the summary. (laughs) (laughs) The, The summary confused you? Yes. I'm Uh-oh. that kind of gal. It's just hard to keep up with. Let's just say everybody is having memory holes, including me. <laughs> Continuing the theme of memory loss. Exactly. Because, you know, of course we have, we have all the memory loss going on for various reasons. And then we also have in La Fée Epoque, episode 407, where Dyson explores, sorry, when Bo explores Dyson's memories, we didn't get flashbacks. We had Bo go into Dyson's memories, which he says he had forgotten until... Bo went back there. And so I think one of the kind of questions that hasn't quite been answered, perhaps, that that I know Chris has been been wondering is in episode 401, we know everybody has had their memories wiped because they find the Recuerdo coil in their eye. She says that she pulls her eyelid down <laughs> well, to demonstrate. I can't help it. And... You know, they go to to the fae, the fish fae in the in episode four hundred one, saying, "Oh, did you do this?" And Snook, who always refers to himself in the third person, says, <laughs> "Which drives Stephanie crazy." <laughs> Actually, I kind of, I kind of like it. I kind of like Snook. <laughs> I thought he annoyed you at first, but I, he's grown on you now, huh? He has, he has grown on me, Snook. But you know, Snook says he he couldn't have done this; it was too too much for him. So I'm 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 guessing they are insinuating that the Wanderer did this. But we don't really know for sure, right? Well, that's what we initially assumed. It does seem like it's probably the Wanderer, but again, not having official confirmation, it could be something else, theoretically. And especially, I think, since we learn in 407 that Dyson's memories of the Hellscore have been erased, and that really seems to be something of interest to, quote-unquote, the one who wanders, I think it's reasonable to assume that the Wanderer has some some pretty hardcore erasure, memory erasure powers going on. So in addition to all of this like memory loss and exploring memories, 
we have a lot of like conversations about memory and what it means to either have or not have your memories. Because we have in, in memoriam where Dyson and Kenzie are about to use the compass to restore, to restore their memories. And Dyson tells Kenzie to wait and asks, you know, maybe they're better off forgetting what they can't remember, but that's not really enough for Kenzie. And she would rather be complete with her memories. She feels the hole that, that Bo has sort of left in her life since she's not there. I totally got choked up rewatching that scene. I know. Ksenia's line delivery on that, the, the, my heart hurts Dyson and I don't, I don't know, know why. why. Oh. And then I tear up. I know. It's a great little moment. And then in episode 403, Lovers Apart, before Lauren and Crystal, you know, are engaged in some sexy times, oh. the, they are having a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Annie. I like you, Liebs, but leave your stripy pants on. <laughs> She actually never wears pants. I don't know if you noticed this. Oh, okay. Leave your stripy panties on. There you go. She she only wears skirts. We've only seen her in skirts. And a robe. And underwear. And underwear. But before, the absolute pantslessness, not just like the midway pantslessness, but the, <laughs> the complete pantslessness happens. <laughs> I might have had two whiskeys, y'all, before I started recording this episode. <laughs> just as warning. So before the, you know, hot pants list gets it on, they're having a conversation about the bad shit that they've either, that's either happened to them or that they've done and wishes they could forget. But, but then sort of Crystal stops them and says, if they forgot all of that stuff, what would, what would they have left? So it's kind of this question of, if we don't have our memories, even if they're painful memories, what does this, what does this make us? And then they answered that by making out. By making out. It's always sort of funny to me to go back and watch the the lines that seem to, you know, get somebody into somebody else's pants or lack of pants, as it were. <laughs> and I was like, really? This is an odd pickup line, but okay. <laughs> and then another conversation, or I guess a comment we hear about memory is at the beginning of 406 from Bo, where he, she and Kenzie are venting to each other but not really listening to each other and and Bo asks you know and i wonder can you really know yourself without memory i mean can you really know what you want and this is after she has learned that she has somehow pledged herself to the dark but she doesn't remember doing it and so i think that's also a very important question of from the season it's like what what are you without your memories if, if they're not there well and my question is is Bo at this point does she want to have her memories as painful as they may be does she want to find out what's on the train or is it is that more terrifying than not you know she's terrified of what the wanderer will do to her she says in uh 408 you know she's terrified of what he'll make me it's kind of a toss-up for Bo. she wants to find out what happened to her but everybody is so freaking you know scared of this wanderer and the powers he seems to possess well, and I don't have my notes in front of me from last week, but there was the 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 quote from Bo that I made sure to bring up. Do you guys remember what I'm talking about? She's running out of excuses to get back on the train, that one? Yes. Again, I think this is sort of back to what you were just talking about, the like does she really want to? I think, you know, I think there had been a certain amount of putting it off, you know, trying to trying to dismiss it. But but then sort of getting to that point where like no you really kind of can't can't ignore it you you need to know what it is that you that you have done yeah I think definitely she 
is afraid. She's kind of taking Dyson's approach to things a bit in 401, where she, he was wondering if maybe they're, maybe he's just better off not remembering. But I think her desire to be on the line, to know why she would sacrifice such a big part of who she is as a person, as a fae, why she would do that. I think she really needs to know that. And if, if nothing else, I think she really wants to undo that. Well, I think especially once she found out that she was actually actively sending herself clues. Right. I mean, that's a big tip that there's something else at work here, you know? Right. So I think another big theme that we've been seeing this season, which we've discussed before, is this idea of captivity and freedom. And a ma- the majority of our main characters have experienced either literal or kind of figurative captivity in some way or are sort of fighting for their freedom. We we talked about it a lot in particular in regards to episode 405, Let the Dark Times Roll, and episode 406 of All the Gin Joints. There are very strong captivity and freedom storylines in those episodes in particular. But we have had in this season... At the beginning of the season, Kenzie kind of being in a form of captivity to Massimo, being so in debt to him, relying on him to remain disguised as a fae. We have had Lauren, who has been, you know, running from captivity with the light fae at the beginning of the season. But I think we see kind of in turn to stone her almost realizing that having to run all the time is, you know, as bad. It's just as as much of a prison as staying with the Fae was. So, you know, we see her coming back to the Fae, agreeing to work for the Dark, but more on her own terms. She's still not entirely free, but she's at least taking better control of her life. And we get, you know, some background information on Trick about his history with the Unamens, choosing to sort of steal the papyrus seed and run to kind of maintain his freedom to not become part of the Unamens, which, you know, means the one mind. They are all supposed to be kind of one person and not have individuality. And then, of course, we have Bo, who was held captive by the Wanderer, and now she's pledged to the Dark Fae against her will, and she's not really free the way that she used to be. And then as far as sort of more you know, lesser main characters, or still main characters. We have Vex, who was poisoned by the Unamens, which bound him to an area which he was willing to sort of cut off his own hand in order to have his freedom. And then we have the Morrigan, who was imprisoned by Vex until she escaped at the beginning of the season. And then, you know, there's just little little B-plots in a lot of the episodes about that as well, with Endymion in... Sleeping Beauty School being sort of held captive by Celine for many, many, for like 800 years. I think it was something like that. Bruce being mastered by the other Fae in Let the Dark Times Roll, the Ayanka storyline, and of all the gin joints. So there's just this real theme of freedom and captivity running throughout the season. And I, and I think hopefully we're going to get some resolution in regards to Bo becoming more unaligned by the end of the season. I'm going to add Crystal to your list there. Yes, Crystal as well. I think that Bo is trying to reassert the former freedom she had to do what she wanted when she wanted to through uh, solving the Wanderer and the mystery of that. Because I think the line to me that is so kind of, it's it's a really small line, but it's kind of shocking when in uh, Let the Dark Times Roll, when Ebony tells Bo, you know, you're aligned with the dark now. You know, that means I'm your boss. And I'm like... Wow, Bo having a boss. Bo has to. Te- she has to pledge allegiance. She has to, you know. The, that these are the the somewhat the finite rules of how the Fae have worked for a millennia old system, and uh, if she doesn't, there could be consequences. I also had that that moment where 
like, oh, she's apparently chosen a side. Yeah, this is not going to go well. Yeah. <laughs> well, we could go ahead and say that the Unamens are basically holding everybody captive in a way, since everything seems to be on, on lockdown in the Fey world. Right, and that's that's a good point that the one of the big villains for this season is is basically pooping everybody's party, as Kenzie would say. They've got the Fey world kind of on lockdown in regards to how they can behave and what they can do in their daily lives. Doesn't Bo make that comment like what is this, occupied France or something, right? Yes, yeah, and that's a good point. In Turn to Stone, she she jokes to Kenzie, what is this, occupied France? Because everybody seems so, you know, down and, and not very happy, and Kenzie attributes it to the Unamens. Something somebody brought up on Twitter was the comment that Lauren makes to Bo at the end of La Fée Epoque, where she has gone into Dyson's memories to find Bo and bring her back out. And Bo comes back out and then... Lauren follows. And when she, when Lauren wakes up, she says to Bo, I cut my string, Bo, I cut my string. And literally in that moment, she's meaning she figured out inside Dyson's memories how to cut her string by herself so that she could come out safely. But the, this person who contacted us on Twitter was wondering if there was maybe something more to what Lauren is saying in that moment. Is she saying that she has sort of freed herself from her relationship with Bo in some way, that she has made a change in her life? What, what do you think, Chris, about that moment where she says, I cut my string? You know, I'm, I'm still not sure if it necessarily has to do with relationships specifically. I mean, I know that that's what the red string is supposed to be, that it's, you know, the thing that ties everybody together. But my thinking on the subject is that red string, it's its supposed to be red string of destiny or fate or whatever it is, right? So I, I think there's significance in the fact that somebody else can't cut it for you. Basically, you have to be in control of your own destiny is, is my interpretation Right. And I think we're definitely seeing that from Lauren this season, her trying to take control of her own destiny. So she might just be speaking to that. And that's kind of what I was getting at that, you know, she has come back to the Fae, but more on her own terms. She's trying to figure out how to make a life for herself. And she has told Bo, you know, you can't really save me from this. You, you know, I don't want you to claim me. So I think there is definitely something to that with, with her saying, I cut my string saying I'm taking control of my life in a way. Of course, that is a big theme in the show as a whole, too. I mean, you know, Bo's whole living the life I choose. I will live the life and, I choose, right? Right. So then another big theme of this season has been about family. And this is not a new one for Lost Girl, I don't think. I think since the beginning, they've been trying to play with ideas of family and stretch this idea of family, but we've had Bo talk about family a lot this season. She calls Kinsey family twice in Turn to Stone. She tells Vex in Let the Dark Times Roll that, you know, he purposefully hid in Dyson's apartment so that they would find him because Kinsey and, and Bo and even Dyson, they're the only family he has left because his family has all been killed. He's the last mesmer. When Lauren tells Bo she's not going to go back to her old life. Bo's response is, when you're ready to come back to your real family, just say the word. Lauren says that Dyson is family in La Fée Epoque, which is why she comes to help him. So, and, and, and we see sort of this redefinition of family with Bo and particularly Kenzie raising little Tam Tam from being a wee Valkyrie to a somewhat adult Valkyrie. So 
definitely, I think we're seeing a lot of conversation about family in this season. Well, I think it's getting redefined uh, because we saw everybody break apart at the end of season three with all those cliffhangers. And it, it definitely was unexpected how, to me anyway, how Tamsin would come back. I just thought she'd pop in, you know, Adolph Valkyrie have all her memories. But to have her be raised by Bo and Kenzie, especially Kenzie as a main influence in this crazy surrogate face slash human family really pointed out to me how uh, lonely Tamsin is as a character that she, you know, that is the only family she has where she has these two people willing to pitch in and keep her safe when she is vulnerable in that child state and uh, to keep her not just so that they can eventually get information about the Wanderer, but because they must genuinely want her around, you know, Bo and Tamsin respect each other and, Tamsin has, you know, very intense feelings for Bo. So I like that aspect of the family, how they've created this little, you know, mini family with it. It's not just Bo and Kenzie anymore, that they are responsible for Tamsin in that sense. I love the Dyson and I, I, it's, I think it's referred to as the Dyson and Lauren bromance family that you know, realize that despite their differences, they get each other. It's not just because they love the same woman. But, you know, they've all had their similar struggles with, you know, live up to their expectations of Bo and failing. And um, I just think that the whole point of the whole family, the one point that I really liked was at the end of 407, when they did all get together at the bar at the doll. And they said, look, we're, you know, the whole gang is back together again. Except that. Still, I think Dyson could have thanked Lauren, but <laughs> I was other than that, that. <laughs> I knew you guys were waiting for that. But, um, but I liked. It, it took a lot of episodes for that to happen, and I, you know, from what I think I've seen for a little bit of spoilers, it seems like they're all working together more as a unit. So I think the family has come together again, and the group is coming together again. But they've all been, you know, really changed too. I have to interject regarding Lauren and Dyson. You know, Lauren did make di- make dinner for Dyson at the end of season three. Yeah, think about that for a second, everybody. <laughs> she did? I've made a crack so obscure and weird that they don't get it. Uh-oh. Oh, yes, yes. Ha-ha-ha-ha. That took me a I don't get it! What does Dyson pick out of his teeth that Lauren gave him? Oh! She turned Taft into a cabot. She turns Taft into a cabot. Got it! Okay. That was a good one, Chris. That was a good one. Once you get it, it's pretty funny. <laughs> <sighs> so a, a quote, a quotation from this season that I really like in regards to family on this show. I like at the end of 405 with the Dark Times role where Bo and Trick are talking at the bar. And Bo says, our family is such a mess. And Trick says, yet somehow, Isabeau, we muddle through. And I thought that was a beautiful kind of exchange between the two of them. But I do think it's interesting that we're seeing, especially with Groundhog Fay, the last episode that we've gotten, some tension between Bo and Trick emerging. You know, at finally, the end, right? Finally, at the yeah. end of La Fée Epoque, she was say, expressing, you know, why hasn't Trick helped me more with this? And so we're actually seeing some more tension between Bo and her and her her blood family and Trick. And so I'm curious to see where that goes in regards to their relationship. Her blood king family? It looks, <laughs> ha, 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 ha. I got that one. <laughs> I, I really, that point where Trick said, the reason why I haven't told you 
you know, and he goes, because I'm terrified. And we know he's drunk, but he's speaking the truth. And that really takes me aback when I think about the Wanderer and what Bo must be facing, because not a lot terrifies Trick. It takes a lot to get under all the, oh, I must hide this from Bo, I must do this, I must keep this secret, I must, you know, not tell this person this, and, you know, he's he's normally so authoritative in his decisions of, I think this is what's good for this person, so this is what I'll tell them, this is what I'll do. He's very strategic about what he does. So for him to be terrified, I think, is a big deal. Well, and I'm wondering if the confrontation between the Unamens and Trick will influence Trick any, you know what I mean? Well, and here's my question about season four. How do the Unamens and the Wanderer relate to each other and to what Bo is looking for? Do they, are they the same quote unquote villain? Are they working together? Uh, we've got, are, are they threats on two so. different fronts? You know? So we have these two separate entities that don't seem to bode very well for Bo and gang. So, you know, I, I think it's it makes the writing a little tricky, so I want to see how that resolves. Well, that's sort of a good jumping out off point, actually, to talk about some unanswered questions we have about the Wanderer storyline, which, of course, is pretty much everything. Everything. You know, we don't know what happened to Bo on the train. We don't know what Bo, what led to Bo pledging herself to be dark. We don't yet have quite a clear idea of who exactly the Wanderer is. We we think he's Bo's father. We think he was creepy and had her conceived so that she could be his ideal mate. Yuck. We think that he is this guy, Rainer, who pledged her to the dark. But we just don't know. There's so many open-ended questions. But something that I did think about when I was going back and rewatching the early episodes of season four, which didn't really occur to me the first time, was that the dress that Bo is wearing when she wakes up on the train and then jumps off, looks like it might be a wedding dress, right? Yeah. And now there's this question of, did she actually marry him? Hmm. Hmm. Is the black smoke a wedding present? <laughs> well, and then there's the question, I know you had a question going, what's with the black ooze at the end of 401 in the trunk? Uh, yeah, yeah, because that still hasn't been explained. Uh, we don't know what the black ooze in the, or the black smoke is in the, in the jar that Bo gets at the end of 408, and it's like, the portable wanderer, that was my thought. <laughs> Take him with you everywhere. Well, there is definitely this question of what exactly is the black smoke in the jar, because as we discussed in our episode when we talked about Groundhog Fay, I first thought that that meant Bo had somehow trapped the wanderer, but I think it actually makes more sense what, what Chris was saying, that it's a way for Bo to transport herself back on the train. Obviously, we don't know. But speculation. Yeah. But going back to the box with the black ooze that Annie referenced, I in rewatching In Memoriam, I think that's supposed to be where the Unamans were. Because at the beginning of the episode, we see Kenzie sneaking into this warehouse and, you know, leaning over that box. And she leans down and she whispers, the Unamans. And that's so right. I think the Unamans were supposed to be in that box. It's just kind of confusing to me because... Well, is that where all the other seeds were, maybe? I don't know. The papyrus seeds? No. Yeah. They were, they were, apparently, I guess the Unamens, they turn into ooze to travel compactly, and then they expand. I don't but know. that <laughs> makes no sense. I don't the know. The ooze is just the plasma form of the black smoke, which clearly is the gaseous form. See? Yeah, there we go. So there that's we go. how the Unamens <laughs> Thank you for bringing science like, yeah. into things, Chris, to make things make sense. <laughs> but, see, here's the thing. I think the symbols on the 
ooze, the box with the ooze and the symbols on the box that Bo sends herself look somewhat similar. I don't know, it's, it, those boxes look somewhat similar, so they could be from a similar origin from on the train. I don't know. Maybe, but I mean, I think they were just runes, and all runes kind of look the same to me. Yeah. There were also runes in the um, Hecuba prison. Yeah. So, so. it's it's hard oh. to know. But the construction of that box in 401, at the end of 401, it really resembles the box that was sent to Vex with like the films about the Unamen. So yes, they had the I'm, same runes on them. I'm pretty convinced that the Unamens were supposed to be in the black Uzi box. I sent a tweet to Emily Andrus to get her to confirm, which she didn't reply to. So I'm not I'm still not 100% sure, but I'm 95% sure that the Unamens were supposed to be in that box. But I got confused because after we see Kenzie try to break into the box, the conversation to me made it sound like the Unamens had already set up shop. But I think yeah, what had exactly. happened, I think what had happened was that, you know, they sent Vex ahead of time warning that they were coming. So people knew they were coming. And then the box was them actually arriving because later in the episode we hear Vex say something like, you know, before the Unamens get here, we hear Kenzie again say, you know, the, the, the party at Angarum's was the last bash before the Unamens comes and like party poops over the town. So they hadn't actually gotten there in 401. True. Okay. So I think probably I put some feelers out on Twitter as to what people's unanswered questions for the season were. And the question that was mentioned the most often was, what is Lauren up to, right? Because we see at the end of 406, of all the gin joints, we see her pull that fake lip off of her mouth. So we assume we she was collecting the Morrigan's DNA, but what for? What are her plans? Really, that just speaks to our Twitter audience, let's be honest. It's true. It's true. We we do seem to have a lot of Lauren fans on Twitter, which is great. Thank you, no, Lauren fans. Really? We are all big fans of Lauren ourselves, but we love all Yay. the characters, so we invite other Twitter people <laughs> to, to respond to us as well. <laughs> the Lauren fans. What? They're out there? If you're a Tamsin fan, if you're a Dyson fan, if you're a Trick fan, we invite you all to respond like to us. We like you, too. We like you all. <laughs> we like you, too. I saw this great tweet. It had, like, had all these empty boxes, and then one was checked at the bottom. But it was this great summary of things we still need to learn from season four. What is Lauren up to with the Morgan? Was she ever aware of what Taft did, you know, the whole time in season three going into season four? Um, did she have a plan with him? What will happen now that Lauren knows how to f splice Fey DNA? That hasn't been brought up. But the last thing on that tweet that was checked off is that, but we found out more about Dyson's past. But yeah, are we going to find out about Karen Beatty? I, I actually have to object to that tweet, though, because I saw it when you retweeted it. Yeah, yeah. The The issue I have with it is we have learned about Karen Beatty, at least a little bit. I mean, yeah. I'm, I, I think it's unfair to just dismiss that all we've gotten is more Dyson story, because... As we've talked about, too, a lot of the Dyson story that we got wasn't actually about Dyson. And I actually feel like we know very little about Dyson as a character. I'll, I would argue that for almost all the characters. In so. regard, especially considering he's supposed to be a thousand plus year old wolf, we know very little about his background. But we have all of these little descriptions of what has happened in Lauren's 30 plus years of life that make it kind of impossible that she only be, you know, about 36 years old. Years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I do, uh, hey, I just put my docu buster out there. I just want to talk. 
I want them to talk about their issues. Something a little. I mean, I hate it when I hate it when they have to do it in episodic television. And should we talk now? An explosion happens. You know, something happens. Something always happens to interrupt the talk. In quotation marks. So I'd I'd like for it to continue or pick up or some hint of that by the end of the season. Doesn't doesn't have to happen all the way, but as as Bo said, where should we start? Our break? What happened at Taft's? Uh, Karen? Who is this Karen? And I'm like, that's only half of it. So that's my wish. But somebody fanfic it for Annie. <laughs> I'll fanfic it for my damn self. If I can never get my muse going. But no, I'm I'm with Annie on on that one. I don't know that I need to see the actual talk itself, but I would like to see some evidence that Bo and Lauren have had a discussion about her past. And I get it. It's difficult for Lauren to talk about. It's something she's not proud of. She wants to forget what happened when she, what she did as Karen. But, you know, we see her be able to confess it to Crystal, but she's telling the wrong person, really. She needs to tell Bo. Which is what she says. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I mean, I agree with you. I do think this is something that needs to happen. And I agree. Since we've seen her tell Crystal, we don't actually need to see her telling Bo since we already know as the audience. But but yeah, it would be nice for them to, you know, hash out some stuff. It kind of feels like a flashback to season one, beginning of season two, where Lauren's like, I want to tell you everything. And then a couple episodes go by and nothing has happened. I want to tell you everything. I think she does actually tell her eventually kind of what she intended to tell her at the end of yeah. season one in regards to Nadia, etc. But it feels again like, oh, but it's they... off screen. Just for once, I'd like it to be on screen a little bit. I don't need the whole thing. I just need she told her about bit. Nadia on screen. Well, I need a little bit more because they had a whole lot of shit happen between <laughs> Nadia and now. So, so what you, you mean know. by you need a little bit more on screen, Annie, is that they need to at least make out at the end of the scene. Is that what I'm hearing? Please. <laughs> I'm sure. She's not disagreeing with you. <laughs> I would actually, I don't need to see the entire talk, but I would actually hear, like to hear maybe about what Lauren says about her going with Taft, because I do personally still kind of have questions about if she really was trick, tricked or if she just wanted to get out of the light fey world so badly. I would maybe like to hear a little bit about that. But in regards to Crystal, mm -hmm. you know, clearly, at least Chris and I are still watching every episode thinking, are we going to see her this week? Are we going to see her this week? And yes. As you may have figured out from our weekly crystal watch. Yes, as you might have figured out. If you're a smart listener, you know, really clued into the details. But, and yes, there, you know, when at the end of, of Turn to Stone, Lauren does say, I'm going to help your Fae Elder if you let Crystal go. So yeah, she could have just ridden off into the sunset. But at the same time, Crystal essentially confesses during that episode that she kind of has feelings for Lauren. So yeah. I would be curious if she would come back for Lauren. And, you know, just because she was released from the cell, does that mean she's free of the Fae? Because they did seem to have a hold over her. Well, it's, you know, not a lot of humans know about the Fae because they are supposed to be hiding amongst humans, so it would seem to be a liability to leave her out there. Right, and I mean, I, I guess my issue here is that I feel like we've gotten enough backstory on Crystal, like they've sort of given us enough details that I feel like she's gotten more story left for her, if that makes sense. Yeah. They've taken the time to make me invested in her bring her back. I want to see what happened. <laughs> I primarily kind of want to know what happened to Crystal afterward, because there was such an abrupt 
shift between the end of Turn to Stone and the beginning of Let the Dark Times Roll were. Yeah, Lord, there was a lot of off-camera stuff. Yeah, right. Lauren pops back up at the, the Dark Kaylee. And, you know, I, I think we can maybe assume that she's telling the truth in regards to it was the Morrigan who kidnapped her and wanted her to, to diagnose this Fae Elder. But at the same time, that voice on the speaker still sounded so much like Trick. I know, and since you said that, it's been driving me crazy, and I, I do feel like there's just... You can take a little speaker box and have it sound like whatever you want. So I just, you know, thought the Morgan had some good technology in. Or it could have been one of her minions doing it, you know? That was my thought the other day. Before we move on to talking about unanswered questions about Trick, of which there are always many, sort of the last, I think, unanswered question about Lauren that I think people, including myself, are curious about is, where's Lauren's brother? Is he maybe going to pop up one of these days? Does he know about the Fae? Yeah, I think it's doubtful he knows about the Fae, but obviously they planted this seed of this brother who's out there. And when Crystal asks, you know, where is he? Lauren doesn't really answer her. She doesn't give her a straight answer. So maybe brother is dead. I don't know. Maybe that will come back to haunt Lauren in some way. But I, I would be curious to see if he pops up alive at some point. He's in a coma and being held in a pod by the Fae with green eyeshadow. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> So moving on to unanswered questions about Trick's storyline, I think the big one, there's a couple of big ones. My big one is what happened in his confrontation with Aoife. We know that blood was shed. He says that he shed her blood. So what happened, what was the ultimate result of that in In Memoriam? And what happened to his papyrus seed? Because we see that it, it goes missing during the course of Let the Dark Times Roll. So where did that go? Who has that? I don't know if you guys got the impression that this the seed kind of broke out on its own, you know? No. Because it was, like, rattling before he put it in the box, and I don't know, I just, uh, that was my impression anyway. It's very Lord of the Rings, though, yes. isn't it? Yes. It is. So, you know, seed could have some boosters on it. Right? Just- <laughs> <laughs> but even if the seed broke out on its own, where did and, it roll and it seeks to? out the person who is most deserving it would be most corrupted by the seed. I don't know. Oh, that we, that could be interesting. Who do we think would be most corrupted by the seed, if not the Blood King? It would go to Bo or something like that. Hmm. But if someone took it, who would it be and for what purpose? And they obviously know that they would, you would think they would know that Dyson is the Blood King and that he's got the missing seed. So why don't they just give it to the Unamens and, and you know, have, you know, enslaved Trick in a way to the Unamens? Why are they keeping it? Well, not everybody knows that Trick is the Blood King. He tries to keep that on the DL. True. What, what about Tamsin? Tamsin's in a vulnerable place right yes, now. Yes, I was going to say Tamsin might be an interesting choice to be seduced by the seed. <laughs> I made myself laugh. <laughs> Boy, Star is like really drunk right now. I'm not drunk. <laughs> yes, you are. So do either of you have any big unanswered questions about Trick's storyline? Uh, Trick's storyline? Yes. That was my answer. <laughs> Just what's happening? You don't know? You have no idea? Nobody ever Not has really. any idea when it comes to that. It's true. That guy and his secrets. I know. I, Jeez. I, somebody re- I asked on Twitter sort of what people were most interested in having, what questions they were most interested in having answered. Yes, I and saw. One and one of the responses that we got was, I, I, you know, I would like to know all of Trick's secrets about Bo. Thank you, all of them. <laughs> yeah, all in all caps. Yeah. yeah. So definitely... Yeah, Trick is still holding some stuff back from Bo. We'd love to hear that, I'm sure. 
how much does Trick know about the Wanderer that he isn't saying? He just is so full of secrets. We have no idea. We could be in season 12. He'll still be holding shit back. Mm-hmm. So I think an- some other, couple other unanswered questions I have. One about Kenzie is, you know, what exactly is a shadow thief that Dyson has mentioned? And when will Dyson start training her for that? Uh, I think somebody put up this really interesting mishmash of, uh, you know, when you put someone's head on someone else's body and you do a little, what do you call it? Photoshop. And uh, yes. it looked like a very interesting Photoshop of Kenzie slash the Hunger Games type kind of thing. So maybe that's what they were envisioning. But, uh, yeah, when you, when you started off there with, uh, put someone's hand on someone else's body, I'm like, you know what you call that? The groping. No, I said head, <laughs> not hand. Oh, it sounded like hand. I'm sorry. The shadow thief, I think, is kind of a weird phrase because I'm like, does that mean he's going to make Kenzie a better thief than she already is? She's already, well, I was going to say she's a pretty good thief, but then again, Trick kept catching her at the beginning of season four, so I don't know if she's as up to speed Except as she Except he didn't because she is. took that uh, thing that he needed yeah, to she find didn't, He didn't catch her all of the time. He just caught her some of the time. That's true. Um, but yeah, would it involve thievery? But would it involve, what if it did involve, like, you know, being an assassin or something like that. That'd be kind of crazy. So hopefully it wouldn't involve any maiming or killing of people, but just thievery. But how would that help a human blend into the Fey world, since it seems like Fey are exclusively, you know, they're supposed to feed on humans and look down on them. I think there was this big Twitter thread going on about whatever happened to the Fey feeding on humans, how that aspect is not brought up as much anymore. So this looks like to be an interesting maybe little-known merging of the fae and human worlds. And to clarify, when you say thievery, you do not mean the ship. No. Oh, yes. No, not thievery. So then another unanswered question we have is about Hale and the blood on his ear clearly is from an infected piercing, but maybe it was from something else, you know, and what might be the consequence of that. I know that it's too late. The season has been filmed. This will have no effect. But do not kill Hale, Emily Andrus, please. <laughs> do not kill anybody, Emily Andrus. Because we will all be sad. Very sad to see Hale go. If nothing else, he's the only cast member of color who's a person of color. And I'd be very sad to see our only cast member who's a person of color be no more. But also, I like Hale. Hale's very likable. And I enjoy his wardrobe. And his smile. And his smile. He has a lovely smile. I love Kale, but, you know, it's it's unfortunately how drama works now that they're saying, we have all the time in the world, dun-dun-dun, that's a big kind of red flag. Red flag. And the fact that Hale does have that infective piercing, um, that scheduling-wise, um, I don't know if Casey Collins, you know, he, is, he's still filming two shows, so, you know, availability-wise, I'm like, no. Casey, I don't care if you're filming three shows. You must stay on Lost Girl. <laughs> selfish. <laughs> My selfish needs. But, um, yeah, I hope nobody goes. I, I, you know, I can't stand it when uh, shows do that. Um, just because if you love a cast that much, it shows how much you love the show. And as for Tamsin and Dyson, I couldn't really think of plot points that had been left hanging in regards to them. But I think, especially for Tamsin, there are some questions as to how her future might look. Because in her past life, she 
you know, she did the rune glass potion, she threw it at Bo. Does that fulfill her debt to the wanderer that she made however many years ago? Or is he going to come after her again and kind of try to strong arm her to work against Bo the way that he did in season three when he sent Acacia after her? And I think there's also this question of, you know, does does that make Tamsin a target of the wanderer if she doesn't help him and, and what might happen there? As far as Dyson is concerned, I think the big thing up in the air for him is his relationship with Bo. He clearly loves Bo, but kind of acknowledges that maybe her heart isn't really with him at the moment, but is engaging in sort of a, at least a physical sexual relationship with her anyway. So where is that going to go? Is he going to kind of continue to be okay with that in the meantime? Or if Bo can't commit more fully to him, will he decide that it's perhaps best that he move on? So some other stuff that I kind of reconsidered or maybe noticed the fir- for the first time when I re- was rewatching the earlier episodes of this season was in 401 in memoriam when Aoife attacks Trick. She says, this is for her. And I assumed when I first watched it, she meant Bo. And maybe she does. But on second watch, I thought, well, maybe she might be talking about her mother. I think that's an interesting interpretation and probably completely valid. Even if it turns out not to be the case, I think it is still an interesting thought. Something else I kind of noticed again and new, I guess, on rewatch is in Sleeping Beauty School, little Lilty asks Kinsey about love. And Kinsey replies, you think love is going to be the ultimate, and then you realize it means giving up more than you knew. And you make this decision, and it kicks you in the frickin' box and leaves you wondering if it's ever worth loving again. And when I first saw it, I thought she was talking maybe about Nate. But I'm also wondering if she might partially be talking about Bo, because she's getting Bo's room ready as she's doing this. And we saw at the end of season two, she did choose Bo over Nate. She decided that she wanted to be with Bo and fight with Bo rather than leaving with Nate to go someplace safe. And even though I don't think that that would mean Kenzie wasn't talking about romantic love, I think what she said could maybe apply to this decision she made about Bo. I think they're not mutually exclusive. So you think she could be talking about both of them? Right. Well, cause, I mean... Because the statement is, you make this decision. And I mean, let's be honest, that decision was about both Nate and Bo. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. So I, I think it's all sort of tangled up in there in one big, emotional, complicated mess. Yeah, like she was going to be hurt either way. You know, there were consequences either way. She lose somebody she loved romantically, or she wouldn't be able to fight at the side of her best friend who could very well be killed. You know, even at that point in season four, Bo isn't there. She's left Kenzie on her own. Kenzie says later in uh, Turn to Stone, when she has that big speech to Bo saying, you left me, you know, it wasn't your fault, but she feels very abandoned, which feeds into her feelings of, I'm human, I'm not good enough, I have to be more, I have to be Faye to be useful to my friends that I value so much. But um, I love my friends, but being with them is a very complicated emotional process at the same time. Another thing that I noticed when I was rewatching Sleeping Beauty School is when Dyson is examining Celine's safe that hid the room where she had Eddie. He says 
he says the he says the safe is an eighteen seventy nine something kind of safe. I didn't write down what the brand was, and then he says he hasn't seen one like it since his time in France. And I was like, oh! And then they establish in La Fée Epoque that he was in France in eighteen ninety nine. So I was like, hello, continuity. <laughs> ah, very good. <laughs> and then I think at one one other point in the season, Dyson said it was like going back to his days as a something something. I can't remember. It was like days when he was a spy or um, kind of covert mm, ops. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what the exact phrase oh, he right. used was. In, in of all the gin joints when he was rigging this little electronic right. device so that they the could communication yeah. 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 daily. Yeah. And these are little hints uh, dropped about Dyson where you're like, I, you know, I think we were talking earlier and you said you'd like to find out more about Dyson's incredibly long thousand year history, which... You know, when you get little hints and little nuggets like that, it becomes really intriguing. I always am more for, you know, I want to see more of that as seasons go on. You know, I'd like to see um, when Hale and Dyson met, you know, things like that. So there's also kind of this question of will there be any consequence to Dyson and Bo possessed by the Jumbi? in Lovers Apart, doing a little impromptu hand-fasting or, like, wedding ceremony? Will there be any consequences to that? And what's more interesting to me, because, yes, I assume there is going to be some sort of consequence, because otherwise, why would all that have happened? But further, if your your earlier theory about Bo being in sort of the vaguely wedding dressy kind of thing when she jumped off the train, if she had been married to the wanderer or whatever it was that had happened there, will that also come into play if if or when we have the fallout from the hand fasting pop back up? Or will that maybe save Bo in some way? Like will she get kidnapped by the wanderer again and they try to he tries to force her to marry him and then it turns out they can't because she's technically married to dyson i don't know but yeah i I agree with you i feel like we have not seen the last of that wedding never thought about that so then another thing that i thought about on my rewatch was that in turn to stone kinsey confesses to Bo that she gave massimo the twig of zamora and the twig of zamora is supposed to make you you know invulnerable it's impervious to harm and I don't think so, but maybe, maybe. Well, obviously, means... Massimo didn't have it on him when he jumped in the lava pool then. But maybe he did, you know? Like, maybe he jumped in the lava pool and then Bo walked out and he popped back out and he was fine. I don't think so. I think he's probably uh, no. dead because he was pretty upset when he shuffled on in there. And I feel like he he wouldn't have just had the took some more on him. If nothing else, Bo was able to cheese suck him. And I feel like if he had it on him, probably she wouldn't have been able to do that. But, you know, there's I, they could still fall back on that if they really wanted to bring Massimo back. Uh, yeah, right. a bit of a stretch, I think. But interesting point. But yeah, that is a really, it's like another bit of a hanging piece of an artifact that's around that's potentially powerful that uh, we don't know where it is. I think there's a couple things like that. And also, Stephanie, I've decided upon rewatch, I don't hate Massimo's shirt remotely as much as what? you do. I don't like it. I think it's pretty cheesy looking. <laughs> My opinion will not but, change. But I think it kind of suits him. Like, I kind of like it. Well, like, it, you know, it doesn't, it suits him as a character. It's in line with the other shirts we've seen him in. But I think in general, he is not a very snazzy 
dresser. I feel like if Buffy spotted him in the middle of a room, she would think he was a vampire <laughs> because he was not wearing the clothes of this decade. <laughs> and then another sort of hanging chad that somebody brought up on in our comment section the other week was the fey elder that lauren runs tests on in turn to stone she says that he's suffering from a medical thingy i was going to remember the term but then i forgot and she says it's because he's been feeding on blood relatives and her her recommended Ah. treatment is i don't know stop you know stop with the incest and somebody queried on our in our comment section could she maybe have been talking about the wanderer given that we now have hints that Bo is his daughter and he was interested in marrying her uh, my instinct is no because the wanderer has has seemed to be a pretty elusive fellow well he doesn't but, seem to be affiliated with light or dark from what we can tell yeah it, he might be dark fey but he seems to live on a train on another plane you know and we don't know that it was in fact the dark fey who had lauren to be perfectly fair yeah i know she told Bo that in the next episode but she well, did probably but was. if if like you know she does have this fake lip scheme going on so if the person who found her and put her through that test in turn to stone is the person she's working with that scheme working with on that scheme she would maybe lie to Bo about it that is what i'm getting at yes. yeah and here's the other thing we were talking about you know trick and ifa and whatever did were we having this conversation during this episode i can't remember i know i saw a discussion of this somewhere that possibly whatever the the fey elder feeding on another relative stephanie has such a look on her face right now um because i don't understand what you're saying are you talking about the theory that it might have been trick's blood because of the confrontation between him and Eva? yes that was what i was okay. getting at okay because yes. it does sound like trick and so maybe it was trick and maybe trick is behind whatever it is that lauren is up to right now we just don't know yet yeah we don't know. i think i think we did talk about that when we initially talked about that episode okay but but it's a good point to bring up that it could still be Trick, given we know that he had a confrontation with Aoife and blood was shed. Oh, we talked a little bit about the Unamans before, but I guess really especially after La Fée Epoque, I'm just wondering what is the Unamans endgame? Because when we first see them... They have all the desks, death masks, and they're going to put it on, put the one for Vex on Vex and slit his throat or whatever. And then they stop. And we see in that episode, they have masks for Bo and Lauren and Kenzie. And, you know, we have reason to conclude why they've, they're no longer interested in Bo because she chose a side. But they still had death masks for Kenzie and Lauren, and they tell Bo at the beginning of Let the Dark Times Roll that they're going to kill them, that they are enemies of the Fae, that their death will be painful. And here, they have them in their lair in La Fae Epoque, and they just let him go. Well, I don't think it was necessarily about them finding them. I think it was they can, they were implying to Bo they can take them and kill them anytime they want at the right moment. But they had desk mouths for them. Death's masks. I What did I just say? I said something wrong. I am also drunk, possibly. <laughs> um, I'm not. Death masks. They had death masks for for Lauren and Kenzie. And yeah, I think what they tell Bo is that they... I mean, yes, it was used in that instance as a threat towards Bo, essentially. But 
to me, the implication is still there that they were looking for them and they were going to go after them. But we still don't know what their endgame is. They just kind of stand there and make threats and say they're going to maintain the peace. They're looking for the seed, but what does this have to do with the Wanderer? And why do they want the Hellshoe? Just because it's yet another powerful artifact that, whoops, it's been misplaced. But it has to do with both finding the Wanderer. What is the deal with the Hellshoes? I don't know, because they, they wanted them back in... Back in the was, day. Because that wasn't really clear to me at the end what the whole big deal was about the Hellshoes now. Now everybody wants it. They wanted it back in 1899, and now they want it again. But what does it have to do with everything? I don't know. But, I mean, you're right. The the Unamens kind of seem, to me anyway, more like they're they're big on the menace and less so on the follow-through. They're kind of wishy-washy yeah. for a menace, you know? Yeah. But Bo's got enough on her plate right now, so hopefully, like I said, we won't have everything converging at once, where the Unamans go after her, and Lauren, and Kenzie, and then the Wanderer comes over her, and kidnaps her, and takes her to another plane, and in the meantime, Lauren gets arrested by the authorities, and put in prison with her brother, and then the season ends, and then everybody dies. So hopefully that won't happen. <laughs> when, when you say everybody, do you mean fandom? <laughs> fandom too no i meant all the characters i'm just preparing oh. myself for the worst sorry <laughs> i've been speculate i've been reading too much speculation on uh, twitter i believe it sounds like it yes i also in rewatch i came to appreciate vex's creative swears even more at 401 he he cries evanescence and then my my favorite one i think was in 405 when he has taken the potion that was supposed to be an, uh, you know, an anesthetic and has actually made the poison worse. And he says, mother, father, it hurts. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm, and I like the swizzle stick swear that Bo and Kenzie both say in let the, let the dark times roll, but some nice creative swearing going on this season. I was very fortunate that my friend Kevin Batchelder over on Tuning Into Sci-Fi TV, he and his colleagues were not able to attend a sci-fi PR call the other day, which included Anna Silk and Ksenia Solo. And so he asked me if I was available and if I'd like to sit in on the call. And I said, of course I would. So I got to listen to Ksenia and Anna chat for about 45 minutes or so. They were, of course, very lovely and kind, as they always are. And there actually wasn't all that many people asking questions on the call. So I actually got to ask them like four questions. I really wasn't expecting that at all. <laughs> I was having, you know, Chris and people help have me come up with questions I'm like, okay, I have five. This is way too many. I'll never get to ask this this many. But I actually got to ask almost all of them. It's always better to have backups. Exactly. Exactly. So the questions that I asked them, I asked Anna about having to sort of switch on the dime from playing kind of regular bow to being, you know, dark bow or possessed bow. And I asked her if she found that, you know, difficult or challenging. And she said, of course, you know, it's a challenging thing to do, but she actually really enjoys playing that darker side of bow. She thinks it's important to highlight sort of that aspect of, of sort of who bow is at this moment. And then I asked... I, I tried to phrase this question in a way, it was kind of awkward because the, the call was for sci-fi. So obviously it's sort of promoting the beginning of season four. So I couldn't ask anything too specific about season four. So I, I tried to phrase my question about 
pairing different characters broadly, but they didn't really give me a a firm answer because I what I asked them was, is there a relationship between your character and another character that you were excited to explore in a new way this coming season? But they both were kind of quiet. And then just said, well, the writers do a really good job pairing different characters together this season, which, of course, those of us who have seen season four thus far is is the case. Indeed. Indeed it is. But really, that is one of those questions. How do you answer that without saying too much? I mean, you can, but I I can understand why they'd want to err on the side of Goshen. No, I understand, too. But I, I was hoping they could have said, oh, I think... You know, Kenzie and Tamsin have, we see some interesting evolution in their relationship, or Bo and Trick, we see sort of their relationship take a new turn. I didn't really want them to give specifics necessarily, but I was just curious if there was one character in particular that they thought, oh, you know, this is kind of new and different. I'm, I'm liking getting to play this aspect. But again, I understand why they're being cautious there. They don't want to give away spoilers. So I understand. I asked one question specifically to Ksenia about Kenzie and Lauren's relationship, because at the end of season three, you know, Kenzie's been declared a human terrorist. And I thought if she thought that that sort of changed how Kenzie felt toward Lauren a bit, and she said she thought it really did, and that we see Kenzie in season four kind of reach out to Lauren in in a new way and sort of recognizing that they have more in common than she thought. As we have discussed many, many times before. Yes. And, you know, and and she was referring, I think, specifically to the phone call, the messages that Kenzie Mm -hmm. is leaving to Lauren and In Memoriam, because we haven't really had too many Kenzie-Lauren scenes this season, which makes me sad. But I am, I have been happy to sort of see Kenzie refer kindly to Lauren throughout the season. Yes. Oh, side note, during that phone call, when Kenzie's walking around the clubhouse, she walks by a wig. Was that the Karen wig? Because it looked like the Karen wig. Or it could have been. Oh, I didn't notice. I should go back and There's see. There's a short brown wig that she's walking by while she's talking on the phone to Lauren's voicemail. Go back, check it out. See see what you think. Let me know on Twitter. And then the final question that I got to ask them was about how they prepared for episodes, because we, we know from Twitter and such that they do table reads of the scripts. But then I asked them if they tended to run lines with other actors or prepare more privately. And, you know, Anna said that it's television's really fast paced. You often don't really have the chance to talk very much with other actors. You just sort of have to be ready to go, you know, and be prepared. But everybody had a, their own kind of process and they were all trying to be very respectful of that. And then Ksenia pointed out that because they are so busy, they do tend to take every chance they get to run lines. So if they happen to be driven home in the same car that evening, they might run lines together and Anna joke that, yes, so basically we're making ourselves nauseous. So, you know, we might be ready to throw up, but we are prepared for the next day. (laughs) And then some other people asked some really interesting questions. I think the first question was about what New Year's resolutions Kenzie and Bo might make. And Anna thought that they, or I think it was Ksenia said they would stock their liquor cabinet. And... (laughs) (laughs) Sounds about right. I know, right? And Anna said that they would vow to have more girls' nights in. And actually, in response to a, a question later in the phone call, Ksenia talked about the fact that in season four, she felt like we, she didn't get to see Anna all that much. They had scenes together, but not nearly the amount that they had when 
they the first the show first started airing right like in seasons one and two so she was like it sucked but you know we'd pass each other on set and be like we haven't seen each other in forever so oh yeah yeah it was sweet and of course you know somebody asked about that that Bo and kenzie relationship and somebody tried to get some some spoilers about docubus out of anna which of course she said up front i cannot answer that at all <laughs> <laughs> sorry annie <laughs> yeah <laughs> and somebody somebody asked about the big dance number and in memoriam and and Ksenia reiterated that she was very proud of chris and casey for stepping up and learning the dance pretty quickly she said they only had about six rehearsals and it was a really grueling process a lot of sore feet and she said she cracked a rib after doing the dance number so Ow. hardcore guys hardcore somebody else asked about guest stars on the show and anna said that she was really excited that Lin linda hamilton is coming back from season four and ksenia mentioned that she would love to have aaron ashmore back on the show she she really loved working with him and she knows that a lot of fans really liked nate and would love to see nate back on the show and then they also talked a bit about George Takei, and were just very complimentary of him and what a what a nice man he was. Kevin over at Tuning Into Sci-Fi had me record this PR phone call, and I know they're going to play clips from the phone call in an upcoming episode of theirs. So when that episode comes out, I'll be sure to tweet a link to it. But be on the lookout for it. You can find it over at TuningIntoSciFiTV.com. Thanks again to Kevin for the opportunity. So let us know what your thoughts are so far on season four. If there's any moments that you've kind of gone back and thought of in a new way, we would love to hear your thoughts. You can send them to us in a variety of ways. You can go and leave a comment on the show notes for this episode, episode 36, over at drinksatthedoll.com slash 36. You can send us an email to feedback at drinksatthedoll.com, or you can send us a voice message by clicking on the send voicemail link on the right side of the page at drinksatthedoll.com. I'm so glad you could join us for Drinks at the Doll. My name is Stephanie. And my name is Chris. And Annie wasn't here when we could record this part, but I'm sure <laughs> she wishes you well as well. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. Cheers. Cheers.